0: All right, so today, what, what we, uh, as, as we move into to, uh, our sermon today, um, what we do is... Oh, by the way, let me say this. If you are interested in finding out a little bit more about covenant membership, uh, finding out what it is to be a member here at the church, we'll be having a membership class coming up after Easter, um, sometime towards the end of April. We also have... I didn't need that anyway. We also have a pizza with the pastor uh, coming up, which is a great time, thank you, which is a great time uh, to find out just more about the church and what are we about and what do we do and get a chance to meet myself and uh, my wife and some of the staff here at the church, and that's coming up on April 15th, so you can mark your calendars for that um, as well. So uh, a couple things here as we get going. We've got, um, this is the last week that we have in our Understanding Church series. And we've talked about this, you know that next week is Easter, which blows my mind a little bit that we're moving that far ahead. Uh, but we're kind of getting to this point um, where this series is wrapping up, and I want to just give you a clue about where we're going. After Easter, we, we will uh, break into this series uh, called What Keeps You Up at Night. Uh, we all lose sleep over some things. Um, and uh, there's, there's things that cause us to toss and turn where we have trouble relaxing and shutting anxiety and down where our brain runs. And so whether it's uh, our marriages or our work or our finances or our families, um, and, and so we're going to dig into that and see what God has to say and what transformational things we can find in Scripture where God addresses um, our lack of sleep in those areas. And, and I think what you'll find as we get in that series is God has some great things to say. Okay. After that, we're going to go into this, this short series, uh, Battle of the Sexes, where we're going to deal with what God has to say about biblical manhood and biblical womanhood. It's a, a short informational series that I, I think we'll, we'll be able to, to glean a lot out of. Uh, and then as we get into uh, June, we're going to be jumping into a series um, on 2 Timothy, and there's just a lot of great stuff to mine there, and we're going to work our way through 2 Timothy uh, kind of slow and methodical-like for a good chunk of the summer, uh, and we'll be able to mine a, a ton uh, of what God has for us in our lives. And so we've got a lot of great things happening to look forward to, okay? But today, we wrap up our series on understanding the church, okay? And, and I hope that you've tracked this as we've gone Right, we've, we, we started with understanding that, that it's through prayer and fasting that God communicates his will for the church. And we asked you to join the elders in prayer and fasting uh, as we've done that. And, and then we looked at the fact that Jesus has given the church a mission. Okay, We read that in Matthew 28. We read it clearly. Jesus has given the church a mission. And here's the thing about the, the mission of the church. It's non-negotiable. So every church, I'm going to say this now, and I, I'm not trying to call any church out, I'm, I'm not trying to poke at anything, um, but, but here's the deal. Churches don't get to decide their own mission. If you're at a church that says, you know what, we need to sit down and figure out what our mission is, then that church is confused about why it exists. Because Jesus gives the mission to the church, and, and the mission of the church is to go, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them everything I've told you, and then sending them out. That's the mission of the church as it exists. God has given it to the church. And then we continued in the series, and we've seen that not only does God um, give the mission to the church, but then he outfits the church for the mission. He gives us qualified men to serve as elders um, over the church, elders over the church that, that help us understand, okay, the way that God has designed the mission for their context. Listen, the mission of the church will actually happen significantly different here in Vinton, Iowa, than it will in Chicago, Illinois. If we try to do church here in Vinton, Iowa, the way that church happens in Chicago, Illinois, we will be an ineffective church. We will have a mission, but we won't be good at it. So God has given us elders um, to set Vision and philosophy around the mission of the church. And then we found out that there's more. God has given us qualified men and women to serve as deacons or what we would call ministry team leaders that in freedom figure out how church works in the context of that vision and that philosophy. And then we're still not done because if that's all we had, we would be woefully unqualified to be about the work that God has planted us here to do. By the way, you know that, right? The the reason that we are here right now, as a church in Vinton, Iowa, the reason that we exist at this location, the reason that we minister here, is because God has ordained it for us to do so. It's not because on a whim we decided. It's not because we flipped a coin. It's not because we just happened to be here. God has ordained that there is mission and that we have a role to play in it, and he has put us here. And if all we had were elders and deacons, we would be woefully underqualified. But then what God has done is God has given us every desire and passion and ability and skill that is possibly needed for the ministry of the church in the body of the church. It's one of the reasons why covenant membership is so cool. Because when people say, yes, I am plugging into covenant membership, I am now part of the mission of the church and part of the body of the church, what God has promised us is that through your involvement in the church that we will never go without any need, any desire, any ministry, any part of the mission that God has given us to do in the community that we live will have its needs met by the people that call this church home. And this is why we have to understand, right, as we wrap up this series, Understanding Church, we have to understand how that works and how God has wired us and what this desire for service is that lives in our hearts, because there's two things that happen with it. One is it helps us grow, and two is that it, it pushes the kingdom and the ministry forward, okay? So that was my notes page. I'm not sure how that got in there. Ignore that. Sorry about that. It's the only notes page I had in the whole thing, so we won't have to worry about it again. So here's the deal. We're going to look in Matthew uh, chapter 20, and then we're going to skip ahead to Romans 12 in a little bit. But if you want to go ahead and open up your Bibles to to Matthew chapter 20, we're going to look at just four verses here. We're going to break them apart a little bit and see what they have to say. Um, It starts with this, Jesus talking in Matthew, and he says, look, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different, okay? And so Jesus is telling us here in this one context that something about the way that we do life is to be countercultural. And you know what? That shouldn't surprise us because Jesus has been telling us since the Sermon on the Mount, go all the way back to Matthew 5. Since that moment, Jesus has been talking about his people, the church, his followers, the people that choose Jesus, working in a countercultural way. I, I mean, I hope that you get and understand that. If you claim Jesus, if you're here this morning and you don't claim Jesus, then here's what, here's what I'd ask you to do. You're here this morning, you don't claim Jesus, you're just trying to figure all this out, then listen to what I'm about to say next, and then you can give me, a, honestly, give us a report card. How are we doing at this? And if we're rocking it, that's awesome. If we're not, let us know, because we're always trying to grow and strive to be better. But here's the thing. Jesus says this, He says, look, uh, from the beginning, from his first inaugural sermon, he says, look, if you are going to claim to be a Christ follower, if you are going to claim me, Jesus says, my reputation is way too important for you to jack it up. My reputation is way too important for you just to to be lazy with it. If you are going to claim me, then you better be obviously mine. You better be different than the rest of the world. You better be counter cultural. You better stand out. Basically, Jesus says his reputation is at stake. The way people see and how people feel about Jesus is impacted by the way you, Christ follower, act. I mean, that shouldn't be hard to track, should it? I mean, if I walk around acting like a jerk. If I take care of me first and I don't worry about other people, if I yell at people in traffic, I know venting traffic, it's ridiculous, right? <laughs> but if I yell at people in traffic, or I give the waitress a hard time because she got my order wrong, or I don't. I don't meet my neighbor's need where it's obvious what the need is. If I can't do those things, and yet I claim to be a Christ follower, then I put Jesus in this terribly bad position because I've said I'm with Jesus. And then I and then I act like that, and people look and they're like, man, well, I don't want anything to do with Jesus. Because if that guy follows Jesus, that's nothing special. Now listen, I'm not saying that we should be perfect. We're not going to be perfect. We're going to make plenty of mistakes. Of course we're going to make mistakes. But man, we've got to look different than the rest of the world. Not because we're better than anybody, but because Jesus has said, look, you're going to follow me, you're going to be on mission. And this is no different. See, what happens here is James and John uh, in this text, actually, um, it's kind of humorous if you read it through, but James and John want to be great. James and John are two of the apostles, two of the disciples, and they want to be awesome. Um, they're already in the inner circle. We know from Scripture that Jesus has 12 disciples, but he has three that form the inner circle. Okay, and that's James, John, and Peter. And James and John are brothers, and they've kind of figured this out, that, that you know, uh, this is going to be cool, and, and eventually that, that God is going to bring in this new kingdom, and it's going to be here in power. And so they kind of have been angling for power positions, And what they want is, they know Jesus is going to sit here and rule. And so what they want is, they want one of them to sit on the left of Jesus, and they want the other to sit on the right of Jesus, and they want to be in these power positions. And so what they do is, this is great, I love this, if you go back and read earlier in Matthew 20, they have their mom ask. (laughs) I mean, seriously, they have their mommy ask for them, right? Because who can say no to your mom? Like, I mean, that's not a bad move, I guess. Carrie's like, I could say no to your mom. But, but I mean, so, so they have their mom ask. They're like, hey, um, she comes and says, hey, grant my sons this in your kingdom. And Jesus, he doesn't say no. He doesn't say yes. But what he says is, you're, you're thinking about it all wrong. And this is where he starts this this dialogue here. He says, you know that rulers in this world... See, he doesn't say wanting authority is a bad thing. By the way, if you're here today and you are in authority over people, that is good, not bad. If you carry some leadership, that is good, not bad. I lead people. I have authority over some people. That's not... Jesus isn't saying that's a bad thing. But what he's saying is you have to be really careful with why you want it and you have to be really careful with what you do about it what you do with that authority. He says, you know that rulers in this world, the average ruler in this world doesn't rule over people in a kind, giving, sacrificial way. The average ruler in this world lords it over their people, and the officials flaunt the fact that they're in charge and that they have power. But among you, it's got to be different. So there's just this this real quick thing that, that I want you to track here with what he's saying. He's saying, look, any authority that you have and I hope that you have authority. I hope that you have influence. In fact, one of the prayers that I often have for my kids is that they'll grow in godliness and influence and authority over people. Not um, right now. I don't want them bossing around their friends at school. You guys, knock that off, right? I don't want that. Okay? But as they grow in stature, as they mature, as they move into adulthood, my prayer for them is that they grow in authority and influence and godliness. But those three have to go together because as they grow in authority and influence, they have to grow in godliness because they have to understand this. The authority that they have does not exist for their own good. When you have authority, it does not exist to benefit you. It exists to benefit those that you have authority over. That's the reality and God says, This is countercultural. Jesus says, I need you, before you start jockeying for a position and before you start thinking about how you serve, I need you to understand this. Okay, so right away in this context, what he's saying is, You were built to serve. You were built to serve. If you are here today, maybe you're actively involved in service in some way whether it's through the church or, or in the community or through your home or through your workplace, your office, whatever. Perhaps you're actively involved in service. But even if you're not, if you're honest with yourself, somewhere in your heart, you know that you were designed to serve. You know that you were designed to do something. It's in your DNA. That's why groups like Kiwanis... Lions Club. Uh, we've got AmeriCorps, uh, used to be FEMA, that are across the street where young kids want to get plugged in. Uh, any of you that are in your, well, you could be as old as I am. Uh, you could be older, but but I remember when I got out of college, I flirted with the Peace Corps, but Carrie said no. I was also flirting with Carrie,
1: <laughs> and so it was
0: one of those weird things. Where I'm flirting with the Peace Corps. I'm flirting with Carrie carry one. But we're designed and we're wired to serve. It's part of how God has created us in his image. And, and that shouldn't be hard to track. We keep going here. And he says, whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. And so he, he continues with this, look, this is, he's like, you want to be an authority and that's great but it's worse than you thought, or it's harder than you thought, or it's more difficult than you thought. You, you want to be of value. You want to be of importance. You want to have a role in the kingdom. You were designed to serve, and that service means that you've got to get lower than everybody else. To serve well means that you have to have a view of yourself that as an individual, that your needs are secondary. I want you to hold that for a second. The idea that as an individual who is wired to serve, that your needs are secondary. Because if you've never heard that, if, well, two things, if you've heard that before, you've heard it from the church. And, and if you've never heard that from the church before, it's because we're afraid to say it the church by and large is afraid to say this because here's what we assume. We assume that you're going to leave. Because what kind of a message is that? There's nothing feel good about that, right? There's nothing that's like, oh, hey guys, by the way, we all get to act like servants today, right? No, no, no. I mean, in our world, in our culture, we're all looking to be elevated. But Jesus says, you know, you want to lead You want to realize that thing that I've put inside of you that wants to have authority and influence and that wants to serve and that wants to be powerful and that wants to... That's all fine and good, but here's the deal. The way you access that, the way you grow into that, the way you be that person that I've created you to be is you get as low as you possibly can and you consider your needs as secondary to other people's and you serve, and you serve well, and you serve often, and you serve deeply. And man, that is a hard message. In fact, um tells us in Philippians, in regards to this, that we're supposed to have the attitude of Jesus Christ. Philippians 2 says you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had, because though he was God, he didn't think equality with God is something to obtain or cling to. Instead, he gave up his privilege and took a divine position as a slave, as a servant. And he says, you're supposed to be like that. Serving is in your DNA. And the way that you serve is that you stop thinking about your own needs, rights, responsibility, or those things, and you start putting other people ahead of yourself. It is a tall order, but it makes sense, doesn't it? It makes sense because what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to be like Jesus. And this is exactly how Jesus did things. Jesus came to serve. We know that as Christians, followers of Christ, we're supposed to grow to be more and more like Jesus. I figured this out the hard way, by the way. So I'm sitting up here and I'm telling you something that I am, I'm 42 years old. That's right, isn't it? Man, I'm going to be 42 years old next month. It's coming. Like, like a month away, I'll be 42, 41 now. I should know that. Um, I'm 40, almost two years old, and I haven't got this figured out yet. There are moments where I fight this tooth and nail. Uh, I'm ashamed to admit to you that the area that I fight this more than anything else is in my own home. I mean, I I, I am pretty good, I think, at sacrificially loving and serving my family, but I could be better because that's where my selfishness comes out more than anything else okay? Um, but I am still struggling to figure this out and to try to navigate it. And I want to encourage you um, to, to think about this in your own life. But when I got into the church um, as, as a, 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 you know, I mean, I, I became a Christian when I was young, but, it, but, you know, I struggled to figure out what that meant. Uh, I was young. I was 12 or 13. Struggled to figure out what that meant and uh, graduated from college. And, and I'm, I'm trying to get plugged into the church. And uh, here's the thing. My attitude stunk, Whenever I'd go to church, I would grade everything. The music got an A, a B, a C. Sometimes it got an F, just depended on on how it was. But you know what it was? It wasn't how good the music was because, you know, the musicians were were quite talented. Uh, You know what it was? It was, did they sing the songs that I liked? I mean, so I'd, I'd give them a grade based on whether or not they met my need. Because after all, we all know this. It's all about me. And then, I, then I'd give a grade to the pastor. His name was Byron at the time. And the grade was based on whether or not he had it today. And here's how I knew if Byron had it today. It wasn't on whether or not it challenged me. It wasn't on whether or not it taught me something that I didn't know. It wasn't on whether or not it changed me. Here, here's how I knew if Byron had it. How often did I look at my watch? And if I looked at my watch once or twice, and I'd say, okay, Byron had it today. But if I was looking at my watch every three minutes, Byron didn't have it, and he'd get a bad grade. And then was the church, was it friendly? Was it inviting? Was it, was it a nice church to be at? And you know how I graded that based on whether or not um, I got an invitation to lunch or dinner? Some of those things. And so some weeks, I'd walk away, and the church got an A. And other weeks I'd walk away and the church got a D or got an F. And you know why the church got a D or an F? Because my attitude sucked. Because my attitude made church all about me. And I I, I was reading, here's here's where it gets even worse, guys. I was reading the Bible every day. I, I started going to a small group. And even then, because it was all about me, my attitude was awful. And i walk away from small group going, ah, that was terrible. You know, we talked all that night and nobody ever wanted to talk about me. And it'd be time to go to small group and be like, I don't want to go. All right, fine, I'll go. Do you know when it changed for me? And this is not an exaggeration. You know when it changed for me? It's twice, I've almost fallen off the stage. Um, you know what it changed for me? It changed when I started serving. And I know that that sounds silly, and it sounds maybe like um, an angle or this or that. It, it's not. Listen, I, with all seriousness, and, and it, I, I'm not exaggerating, it was quick. It was fast. Byron came to me one time, and he said, hey, hey, I need you to help lead men's ministry. I'm like, Okay. I'll help lead men. You know why I said yes to leading men's ministry, by the way? Because then it could be what I wanted it to be. Uh, Listen, I'll just be real with you. That's why I said yes, because I thought, well, if I say yes, I will help lead men's ministry, then we'll have to go shoot guns less. Sorry, guys. I wasn't a gun guy at the time. I'm still not really a gun guy, although I I don't mind shooting them now, but I was like, well, we'll we'll shoot guns less and we'll eat more bacon. (laughs) So less gun outings and more men's breakfasts because I will be in charge. But as soon as I said yes to service, as soon as I said yes to getting plugged into things, things started to change because, okay, I want to be a good leader. I want Why? Not because I want people to say, um, oh, man, I really grew under Matt's leadership, but because I want people to say, man, Matt is a great leader. That guy is awesome. So as soon as I started leading and I started thinking about, well, how do I meet those needs? And how does it work? And, and how can I help those people grow for the wrong motive? It was so that they would think I was great. But as soon as I started thinking that way, as soon as we started trying things different, something happened. And the growth that I'd been lacking started to, to just come in waves. Why? Because I'd figured something out, that the church wasn't about me. It was for me, but church isn't about me. And God has wired me to serve. God has wired me to get plugged in. And as soon as that happens, that growth that I'd been looking for, that, that, that I'd been angry about, that I'd almost, God and I had wrestled over the fact, why am I still feeling this way after so much time? As soon as I started to serve, it started to just move like crazy. And I, 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 again, I know that sounds trite and I know that sounds gamey, but it's just, in my experience, that's the way that it worked. As soon as I said, it's okay, this doesn't have to be about me and I plugged into areas of service and growing, things moved. And I I think that's the way that God designed it, because he's put that in our heart to say, look, if you're stuck, if you're the same place spiritually that you were at all this time ago, perhaps the issue is that you need to give up and get plugged in and start growing in significant areas of service. And I think it does something. And then he finishes up this text here, and he says, for even the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve others. This is Jesus talking. It's like, okay, you know, this is how the, the authorities and rulers in this world do it. Don't be like them. You be different. You want to lead? You want to have authority? You become a servant to everybody. That's where your authority comes from. And then he says, even the son of man, this is Jesus talking about himself now. He says, even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so here's, here's just the no brainer thing here. Look, your job as a Christian is to become more and more like Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ says, "I came to serve and not be served." So if you are to grow to be more and more like Jesus, then you must grow more and more into service. If you're here again, if you're here and you're like, "I'm not growing." My attitude stinks and I'm stagnant and I'm not growing. Like, well, you know what? One of the ways you grow to be more and more like Jesus is to start, it's radical, to start acting like Jesus. And Jesus says here in his own words, I didn't come to serve. I came, I'm sorry, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. Okay? So maturity means you put other people first, and putting other people first means that you serve them. And it's not easy to do, but the good news is, God has specifically wired you in the church context to do this. So let's dig into this here real quick. Romans 12, 4 through 6. Uh, we're actually going to go 4 through 8, but we, we chunked it apart here so you can see. It says, just as our bodies have many parts. By the way, I'm going to tell you this. Paul loves this analogy. Uh, he talks about it here. talks about it in Corinthians. Uh, it happens frequently in his writings. He loves to talk about the church as a body. Okay. And the reason he does that and he makes this analogy in a couple of different places, is because a body that functions well has all of its parts working. Now, I don't know exactly where everybody lands on this. Um, I don't need to know. This is not the time to start sharing what doesn't work, okay? But I would imagine that many of you have a part of your body or parts of your body that just don't work the way that they're supposed to. Might be a knee, might be a hip, okay? Might be hair follicles. That was for me, not you guys. (laughs) As soon as I said that, I looked up and I I saw some people that are more needing than I am in that area. (laughs) It's okay. Some of you do it on purpose. Here's the deal. There may be parts of your body that that don't work the way they're intended. You can still function. You can still get by, okay? Okay? One of the one of the people that I am always just so ridiculously impressed with, and I I, I think she's probably here somewhere today, is is Carolyn Hibbs, who of course vision left her, and Carolyn functions better than I could ever hope to in a lot of ways. um, Lacking, I I, you know I kind of wonder what you know what exactly that woman would be able to do. (laughs) Like I mean here I struggle to read the Bible every day. Sometimes I struggle to read the Bible every day. I can see Carolyn reads the Bible. She's blind, okay? I'm not sure what my excuse is, so I'm not saying that, that we can't function, but the way that God has designed us to function, the way that God has designed us to function is for the body to work well and for everything to do its part, and that's, I think, why Paul uses this analogy so well. He says, look, our bodies have lots of parts, and when they all do their job and they all work together, then great things happen, okay? But when they don't, things start to fall apart, things start to go missing, Okay, that's why he uses this analogy, and then in Romans 12, 4, he says this, just as our bodies have many parts, each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. Christ's body, not his physical body. We are the body of Christ, the church. So Paul's talking about the church there. He says, just like physical bodies have all of these parts, and they all work together, the church is like that. The church body, okay, the body of Christ, all of the people that make up Blessed Hope Church or other churches, okay, they all have many parts special functions. A couple things there to understand. First off, um, one of the things that we know is that in our bodies, okay, and in the body of Christ, there are parts that are more prominent. There aren't parts that are necessarily more important, And I want you to understand that, because one of the things that we wrestle with, and it's this human, the way the world thinks, starting to sneak in, it's like, well, I would serve, but I I need an important job to serve. By the way, that was one of my issues, as it turns out. Like, if I go back and I think about my own growth and my story at Bethany about how I got plugged into service and how I started to grow, as I reflect on that, I was asked to serve in a lot of ways. Any idea why I said yes to leading men's ministry? because they finally put me in charge of something. And all of those other ways were great, but they weren't as prominent as I wanted them to be because it was all about me and I needed my role to be prominent. But that's not the way that God's designed this to work. God's designed this so that, yes, there are more prominent roles, but all roles are important. And God's wired each of us distinctly for different kinds of things. It says we're all many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. Okay, that means my service exists for you. And as you get plugged in as a member of the church, your service exists for me. If you appreciate my ministry here, so I'm going to give you just this this little thing. If you don't, then you can be mad at this woman. If you do appreciate my ministry here, then, then you can think well of this woman. And if you ever have a chance to meet her here, maybe in heaven, you could tell Melody Mossman, thank you. Melody Mossman served faithfully every week in the nursery at Bethany Baptist Church. My kids loved Melody Mossman. They did not especially get these fond feelings for anybody else in the nursery we would try to drop them off in the nursery. If it was an off week for Melody or she was somewhere else, then they would cry and it would be ugly and and we'd end up missing service to hold our kids in the nursery and it was fine. But if Melody was there, she'd love them. She'd roll around on the floor with them. She'd play with them. She'd hold them. She'd rock them. She'd sing to them. I mean, they just loved Melody Mossman. And so every Sunday when we would go, and it started that she ended up being from every other week to once a month, and she just started being in there every week. Um, It it, it was her passion and her ministry. And so she would take the kids and and she would have them and uh, Carrie and I could go to church. And the reason that I can be a pastor today, I have no doubt in my mind, the reason I can serve as a pastor today is because I learned and I was challenged and I was stretched and I was grown in that time when I was able just to attend and soak in and be challenged once I knew it wasn't about me. And I was able to grow because my kids were safe and well cared for in the nursery by Melody Mossman. And we've told her this before, so it's not like this is something she doesn't know, but it was the way that God wired her, less prominent, certainly not less important. As she plugged into ministry what God gave her a passion for to do and do so well, okay, that led to ridiculous growth for Carrie and I, so that we could do what God had wired us to do and called us to do, hopefully so well. See, this is the way that it works in the church. Your service doesn't belong to you. Your service is there to benefit others in the church. My service doesn't belong to me, but it's there to benefit others in the church. And that is what Paul calls here, get this, a grace of God. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. The area that you are wired to serve is a grace that God has given you. It's something extra that God has put in your DNA to wire you to serve. It's a grace of God. Okay, and so then he lays these out. He says, so if God has given you the ability to prophesy, prophesy, by the way, here just means um, you, you powerfully speak true things, scripturally true things. This is what I do Um, Hopefully when I stand up here on Sunday mornings, I am not the only one with this giftedness Uh, because of my role. I'm the one that exercises it most frequently up here, but certainly God has wired some of you this way. But if God has given you the ability to prophesy, then speak out with as much faith as God has given you. Do it. Don't shrink back from it, but find an avenue and do it. If you feel like God has wired you this way, hey, let's talk about it because this is how you plug in. Okay. Uh, If your gift is serving then guess what? Serve well. If your gift is serving, then serve well. You know what is fun about this? Uh, We've got a couple of really clear examples for me from this week about this serving, then serve well. I I see, um, you know, we needed to have rooms downstairs rearranged and walls took out and paint and drywall and some other things. And there were about four or five guys that just over the course of this week took out walls, measured for carpet, did some drywall patching, painted, paint it again, paint it a third time. Why? Because God has gifted them service. I, you, Bob Simnocker's here all the time, painting lines. Again, not unimportant, less prominent, but he's out there painting lines in the sidewalk, cleaning up the church after everybody goes, throwing stuff away, making sure the chairs are where they're supposed to be. Serving, because that's what God has put on his heart. If your gift is teaching, if you're a teacher, then guess what? Do it well. Find avenues to teach, whether it's leading a small group, Sunday school class. uh, I don't know how many years Bernice had preschool. Teaching well. If your gift is to encourage others, then guess what? Be encouraging. Okay, so, I I mean, we have a church full of encouragers. I get cards in the mail um, with, with... good regularity from folks, but you know who I get them from more than anybody else. Phyllis Simnacher sends me cards all the time. She writes Bob's name on them, but I know it's her handwriting. (laughs) Just random cards. Thankful for you. So glad God brought you here. Thanks for ministering. Thanks for saying true things. Thanks for preaching. Love your family. Kevin and Deb go on vacation to Hawaii, and I'm like, man, I, I hope they're having fun together. I hope they're spending time together, but, because I, all I know is I keep getting texts from them. Thinking about you, praying for you, encouraged by you. The gift of encouragement. If your gift is to encourage, then, then be encouraging. If your gift is giving, give generously. Okay, now everybody's called to give. Right? that's, a, that's a, When you are a member of the church, you are called to tithe to the church. That's, I know we don't love to talk about that, but that's something that God lays out for us in Scripture. It is what it is. But here, Paul says there's an extra grace that some people have, and it's a grace of giving. Um, and if your grace is to give generously, then guess what? Be generous. Some of you know that very well. Some of you paid for this building that we're standing in. As above and beyond gifts, Because God laid on your heart the role, the servant role of being generous with what he'd given you, and so you were generous. And because of that, we have a building to come and gather and minister and worship and to launch us into the community. If God has given you leadership, then guess what? Take it seriously. And not just like I did, sitting back and waiting for somebody to say, fine, Matt, will you lead? I'm sure Byron did that, not because he was having this great desire, but because he was trying so hard to get me plugged into something. Stop waiting and just say, hey, where do I plug in? How do I grow in leadership? If God's called you to lead, then lead. With passion and excellence and do it well. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, then do it gladly. Visit shut ins Take meals to those that have lost people. Make a difference in the lives of people that are lonely. If God has given you um, kindness as a gift, then do it. What we're talking about here are the marriage between spiritual gifts and just the way that God has wired you. I use John Anderson as an example. He's an easy example from this week. God has wired John to tinker with things he would describe himself as a jack of all trades and a master of none. He can do a lot. He can do a lot of things. God has wired him to tinker. God's given him a passion for service. So any given day of the week, you can find John putzing around the basement fixing something, making sure that fire extinguishers are charged or changing lights in the exit signs, or fixing wood trim around the door that broke, and then coming back the next day to paint it, and then coming back the next day to paint it again. So when you go look at it today, it looks like it's always looked. Why? Because God gave, see, here's the thing, and and what I want to say is, oh, you know, great job, John. Yes, but that's his responsibility to the rest of us. So yes, I'm pleased that he does that. That's his responsibility to the rest of us. But guess what? We have responsibilities right back. And this is where we understand church. That part of how church works part of how church stays on mission, part of how the vision and philosophy that the elders push forward, that, and, and the freedom to see it work out that the, the men and women who serve as ministry team leaders have, part of that is as we plug in and say, yes, we have skills and abilities and passions and we're willing to employ them because that's the way that we've been wired. Okay? Okay. This is a grace of God, and it's, it's what we're supposed to do. Okay, so I, just real quick, as, as we wrap this up, here's what I want to say to you. We have a ministry fair happening out here, okay? And I want to uh, encourage you when the service is over to make sure that you stop by. What are the different ministries that we have? Where are the teams that exist? Where can I get plugged in? Where can I go deeper? And I want to encourage you, okay? Just, just, if you are not plugged into a significant area of ministry, and I, I'm going to use the word significant not to shortchange anybody's area of ministry, okay, but because what God has called us to is significant areas of ministry. Carrie, because she loves the church and because, um, probably because she knows how important it was when Melody did it for us, Carrie serves in the nursery once every eight weeks. Now, I'm not discounting that service in the nursery once every eight weeks. It's good and important service once every eight weeks. But what Carrie is not going to do, because we've talked about this, what Carrie is not going to do is she's not going to say, oh, well, I'm plugged into significant ministry in the church. I do that six times a year. That's what we call a fair share responsibility. Any of you that are teachers know exactly what I'm talking about. As a teacher, there are fair share responsibilities. When I taught or when I was a school counselor, I worked in the school, I had to cover lunchroom once a month wasn't in my contract. There's nothing about being a school counselor that says, man, you're good at lunchroom. <laughs> now, I mean, there might be something about me that says, man, that guy's good at lunchroom. <laughs> is what it is. But I did it because that was my fair share. We all took a share, okay? And, and so we have those areas of ministry, but what I want to say to you is if you call Blessed Hope home, then it's time for you to be plugged into a significant area of ministry. And if you're one of those people like Melody who says, man, being in the nursery or teaching children's church or being down there is my significant area of ministry, okay, then great. Go to Vince and say, man, I, I'd love to do it more often. And he'll get you down there so that can become a significant area of ministry for you. Okay? We all do fair share of things, but God says, look, It's time to plug in. That's where growth happens. That's the plan for the church. And and we're talking about some of the things that happen here at the church, but the reason this is so critical too, don't forget that everything that happens here, this is staging ground. This is staging ground for storming the gates of hell, for bringing the gospel to people that need to know it, to making a difference in the lives of people that live out there. It's necessary. It's part of what we do. Okay, so I wanna challenge you. If you're not plugged in, plug in. And if you're new enough here and you're like, man, I'm new, I'm not, no, you know what? Find, find a place, see what's available. If you're, if you've been here a lot longer and you thought, man, I retired from ministry. No, show me that. Show me somewhere in here where it's like, no, I've done my time. I'm finished. Or show me somewhere in here that says, no, 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 I'm not mature enough. I can't start serving yet. No. Neither one of those exist in scripture, we're, it, we, we need to plug in, and so that's what we're doing, and, and, and plug in is critical, and plug in leads to growth, and, and if you, you're sick of hearing me say it to you, then here's what's going to happen. I'm going to pray, and then you're going to hear Jordan tell you. Uh, we've got a little testimony video, um, and as that video wraps up, we'll have Malia and, uh, and the praise team come back up to, to finish us out, okay? Heavenly Father, God, we just love you, and we just thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are a God that cares and that pours into us, We thank you that your mission for the church is clear and that you've given qualified men to lead the church with vision and philosophy, and you've called men and women to serve as deacons in significant roles of leadership with freedom to to bring that philosophy to fruition. And then that you have gifted those of us in the church, individuals with passions and skills and abilities to move ministry forward, to make a difference in the church, to make a difference in the community, to change lives to bring the gospel where it's necessary. God, this is all your design, and when we understand it well, the church works as it should, and it storms the gates of hell, and it makes a difference. Father, we love you, and we praise you. Amen.